Hello, everyone. Welcome to another coffee chat session of my YouTube channel, Data Science with Sam. Today, we are going to discuss about another interesting topic that relates to data science field. A very emerging field as MLOps, or even you uh, heard about ML engineering fields coming up in recent days. So what are those fields about and what, how these ML engineer fields fit into a data science criteria? So we'll discuss about that in today's coffee chat session. So I'm honored to uh, present Aaron Blight, who is actually uh, the guest of today's coffee chat session. So welcome, Aaron. Uh, welcome to the coffee chat session. I'm glad you joined us today. Could you please uh, introduce yourself to our viewers before we get started with the questioning part? Absolutely, happy to be here. My name is Aaron Blythe and, and I don't drink coffee. So for the listeners out there, uh, whatever, you can drink uh, Diet Coke. It's totally fine also for this. Yes, you can pick your own beverage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I said, my name is Aaron Blythe. Uh, I'm a currently a customer engineer at Google Cloud. Um, in my past, uh, when I started off, I was what we call like an application developer uh, many, many moons ago. And uh, what that meant was like, I wrote the applications at this, um, this healthcare uh, company. And since then, uh, I've had a number of different roles. And one thing that I got into was DevOps. And I got into DevOps a little bit out of frustration. I was like, there has to be a better way to do this because I would, as an engineer, write a bunch of code, package it up and send like a zip file over to someone else. And then that engineer, she would like install it or like I'd have to ask her for the logs or whatever. So it was out of frustration. I was like, well, there has to be a better way. So we, we automated that. And that was many years ago. Um, and uh, I started the DevOps um, meetup and then I did a DevOps days. And since then I've done four DevOps days here in Kansas City where I've gotten 500 of my closest friends together to talk about DevOps. But like I said, I got into that out of frustration. Now I've gotten into what I love, uh, uh, machine learning out of like pure like joy like I love uh, working on machine learning and I love kind of the math behind it and everything and the way that I met Sam is we both did um, a program for a master's degree at the University of Illinois uh, that was just so much fun and like I got to meet all these incredible people and like I hang out on Slack with them and like learn about things that like I just am so excited uh, to do so that's a little bit about me Thanks, Aaron, and uh, definitely it's been a kind of like my pleasure to meet a lot of like exciting talents and exciting minds across the country through that program. So just for my viewers, uh, me and Aaron, we're also alumni buddies. So we went to AYUC, we went to a, like an executive uh, data science program offered by UAUC. So you should check it out if you want to pursue your career in data science. That's a very good program. And I think I talked about it in one of my uh, YouTube vlogs. So check it out or, or let me know if you need any more information about that program offered by uh, University of Illinois. At Having said that, so I'm going to dive into our course in uh, PNA uh, session today. So in the first question I would like to ask Aaron, given his background, you know, he works in, um, you know, uh, uh, DevOps field. Then after that, he has he grew his interest in the machine learning and the data science world. So I just have want to have I have, I have a very generic question for you, uh, Aaron, and the, to start this uh, discussion. So, like, given your recent you know, academic experience at like UIUC, 
and also your work experience at Google. So what do you think about the key skills that a data scientist should possess? You know, like there are so many things we talked about data scientists and they have to learn programming language, they have to learn a little bit about statistics. But if we want to like summarize everything, you know, like say, what do you think like they're the most, I guess, three or four important skill set that data scientists should have in today's industry world? So first, obviously, uh, you kind of hit on this. You have to enjoy math. Um, there's a lot of statistics. Uh, there's linear algebra. When I was doing um, the uh, the master's program, like I did a derivative for like the first time in 20 years, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. I love these things. Um, so like the actual enjoyment of math, I think, is kind of key. Like not just like you you do it because you have to do it, but like there like I think that like people usually do better in things that they they truly enjoy, right? So like having having that type of stuff. Now, that being said, the things I think you need are um, curiosity and open-mindedness. Like you, if you're willing to like dig into something and try to figure out like what's, what's below the surface and like what's that next layer that's down, um, that's what I think like a lot of data science and just science in general um, really is, is being able to like ask that second, third, fourth question to really dig in. And for data science, um, I think that you need also uh, like perseverance and patience. I have seen these quotes recently or like stories that like when you're doing science, um, what ends up happening usually is like, it's somewhat boring. Like it's not, if you get results that are like in some way like surprising or wild, then it's it's very likely true. Like you're, you're a lot of times you're like, you're finding things that you already know to be true. So it's that perseverance and patience. I, I know that like there's been different problems that I've gone through and I'm like, man, I've looked at this data like 80 different ways in 80 different directions. And like nothing interesting has like, uh, like shown through. Like it's like, oh, okay, I've looked at the data this way, and it's like, oh well. I mean, there's a little bit of a grouping here. There's a little bit of a grouping there, but like nothing really to like write home about. Like so, you have to have that perseverance. You have to have that that patience, and um, uh, like just keep trying to dig to that that next level deeper. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you literally kind of uh, uh, make the point that you know it's not about like uh, that how much I mean knowledge you have. You know, you always have to like you know build up on that. You know, as I think uh, data science is more of like a so emerging field and so many things been going on around the world, and you all have you always have to like you know keep yourself at that pace. You actually have to have the curiosity or perseverance, as you mentioned, you know, uh, that, and if you don't have that kind of like a mindset, it's difficult to, you know, get into this uh, new emerging field in data science, but there's so many things going on. I mean, I know a lot of people have uh, grew interest in mathematics, but uh, they don't want to learn about programming language. But I feel like for data science, you need to have both of the skills and you need to have knowledge in linear algebra. You also need to know how we can code your uh, linear algebra or your regression, uh, you know, formula in R or Python. So I feel like, you know, like, as you mentioned that it's, it's just like a curiosity, perseverance coupled with somebody's passion to learn more in mathematics or programming language field would definitely help uh, someone to become 
a data scientist or at least pursue in that uh, direction. So, I mean, so, uh, yeah, thank yeah. you for that uh, feedback, but I hope, you know, our viewers, our viewers will definitely agree with us. Yeah. One other thing about the curiosity is like, like, and I think like also the, the enjoyment mm -hmm. is like, you have to be able to like really enjoy reading other people's views. Right. Yeah. So like you can't go into things like with blinders or whatever. So like you have to read papers from other people that are going to have like different points of view than, than what your particular research is or what the, the truth that you're going down, you, you have to like read them. And like, if you don't have that like curiosity or enjoyment factor, like it's kind of dry, like you're, it's a slog, right? Like you're going to, you're going to go through and you're, you're looking through all these, these different things. So actually being honest with yourself and saying, do I enjoy this? And like, am I curious enough to, to go after this? Um, and like giving yourself pep talks, like for, for me, like a lot of times I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to dig into this like 40 page paper. I know there's a nugget in here somewhere that I really like. Uh, I, I know I'm going to, okay. I just got to make the time. So I did uh, like all of the classwork. And um, when I'm doing like, like heads down work, it's right back here on this couch, like right behind me. Like, I'll just go back there okay. away from the keyboard and I'll take my computer over and I'll just sit, sit down and like, really like put my, my bigger headphones on and really dig into it because that's, that's like, that's my time where like, I try to get like, you know, like a one, two or three hour like time period where I just kind of like dig in and I want to get super comfortable so no that's that's really fascinating to know i mean i think uh, my viewers would understand and you know, especially some some of them are already pursuing in the data science direction that how crucial it is to like you know read through academic research paper related to this field i mean i i from my past experience i could tell that like five or six years back i think i was not, I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time to read any academic research paper related to any, you know, industry related uh, innovation or science. But when I kind of started getting into this data science field, I started reading a lot of academics uh, paper. And I remember that uh, last year I was thinking of, you know, writing a paper on deep learning related to healthcare or COVID-19. And there are tons of uh, paper actually I had to read. And I think that's literally fit into that uh, category of, you know, like having that curiosity and perseverance and read more about other research, uh, people's work, you know, that will definitely, you can derive something from that, or maybe at least that will give you an idea that how we can, you know, pursue or how we can actually, you know, apply those uh, previous work into your research. So it, I just feel like, you know, as a data scientist, we need to have that mindset. That's like a mindset of an academic person coupled with a mindset to drive you know, like a business. It's like, you've got to be in between the industry and academics. You have something you've got to actually put your academic hat on while you are going through the research paper or, you know, try to think about something out of the box. I mean, don't you think so, Aaron? And I, I feel like, you know, that's how the data scientists would feel. Like it's, they're like the position in between like academics and industry sometimes. Absolutely. Um, that's that's uh, kind of like bleeding into the way that I see, um, I think the, the next thing we we're going to talk about was, uh, and I'll just like jump in because I'm, I'm super excited, like a scientist um, versus an engineer, right? Like, so this is the second time in my career, like now we've got a lot of discussions about uh, a data scientist versus uh, a data engineer or um, ML engineer. And when I first got into uh, my professional career, there was a lot of talk about like computer scientists versus 
engineers. And like I said at the beginning, like my initial job title was application developer. It kind of like split the middle. Like it was like, you know, try to figure things out. So the big difference for me has always been that a scientist is that person that applies the scientific method. It's someone that's like looking for truth by hypothesizing and then doing some tests mm -hmm. and trying to find like, you know, something that they can actually consider to be like something that someone else can build on. So like the, building those building blocks through applying the scientific method. For me, an engineer mm -hmm. has always come down to like the original engineer, like the, the true implementation part. <laughs> What's that? The implementation part, you know, like. Yeah. Well, for me, like the way I think about it is like a train engineer. Like the engineer in the train was um, the person who was like, you know, steering the ship, right? Like steering the train, but also would have to go and like shovel the coal into the engine to make sure that that like hungry engine like kept going. Like the engineer is the person that like has to do any and all of the things to keep things on track. Like not literally for the trade engineer, it was like keep things on the track or whatever, like when you came in and like, you had to make sure that certain switches were pulled to go on the right track. You had to keep a schedule. Like you had to like shovel the, the coal into the engine. So I've always thought of like my engineering um, career, even as a software engineer, as like, there's not, it's not always applying like the scientific method or whatever, like, like maybe a data scientist or a computer scientist. So like computer scientists, when I was first coming up, like I always thought of them as the people that were building this awesome kernel, which was a building block that I would build my stuff on, or they build like the compiler that I'd write my C++ code in. But what I would do is like write that C++ code or now it's Python uh, in, the, in the data science um, space. But I'd write the Python that keeps like my company on track. And not just on track, like also on schedule, also like, you know, like moving towards something that like, you know, whatever it is, like I've worked with profit, uh, for-profit companies and nonprofits, like there's always something that like we have as a goal. Um, but I see my job as an engineer is like using, using these methods um, to keep things going. And that's not always just like writing the code. A lot mm -hmm. of times that's like uh, for engineering to be release engineering, like actually getting the code through a pipeline and out. And then for, for data engineering, it's getting the data in the right place. The right um, yeah. So as data scientists, like we spend so much time, like uh, sometimes it's just asking for the data. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's like getting the data and then we finally get it, but we get it on our laptop and we've got this CSV and we're munging that thing all over the place. Or, or whatever, if you've got a really good data engineer or a really good data engineering practice, you should be able to like leave the data at rest where it's at and be able to bring and do your data science on it. Um, like, obviously I'm a little bit biased. Uh, I work at Google, but like we have, we have BigQuery, which is like phenomenal. Like if, if you can use the data engineering bits to get the data there, then you can do your data science on it where it sits, right? And there's plenty of data warehouses um, that, that allow you to do this. Um, but I feel like that that's a really important practice of the data engineering um, to get the data there for the data scientists to do all the, the awesome things that the data scientist is doing. And then on the other side of that, you've got your ML engineer 
um, which ML operations for me is a portion of like model operations. Like if you've got a really good data scientist that's creating some type of machine learning um, model that you can use for your business, like once that model is ready to go, that, that model needs to be put in, in some place. It's usually behind some type of API. Uh, so like, say if you have some type of recommendation engine, if you're on an e-commerce website and you're recommending um, certain things, you've got to take that model and get it to production and get it to a place where when someone clicks on something in the website that it's um, either um, addressing that model to say, okay, because they click this, or it's feeding it, the data back into the system to say, okay, because they clicked on this, we've got, um, we're gonna build a better model for them next time. We're gonna build a better model next time. And then the other part that the, the ML ops engineer really needs to do is get feedback, not just into that loop in the system, but feedback back to um, the data scientist. So the data scientist can say, okay, well, we, we built the best model based on what we knew today, but there's a couple of areas, um, some features that aren't being um, taken into account. So that data scientist has to um, say, okay, well, given what we know now and, and how good our model performed, well, now let's, let's mm -hmm. tweak this model. Let's build a better model for next time. So, so some of it's, it, you know, that loop inside the system as the ML ops engineer, but also that's that loop getting things back, yeah. which is, you know, like that's, that's just kind of the way I've always viewed it. It's, it's been this it's build up over years. I did, I did my undergrad, uh, not as, I've always kind of felt like an imposter because I didn't do computer science. I did industrial engineering. But I, I felt the same way about um, about manufacturing is that like as the as a manufacturing engineer and at the time it was weird uh, we were talking about lean and deming and and all the things that have come into uh, computer science now uh, or software engineering uh, through the lean agile type of movement mm -hmm. and I was talking about that when I was doing manufacturing years ago I think we're on the cusp of where lean and agile are really gonna become a, a, like an ingrained part into yeah. the data engineering and the ML ops that we're doing. So for putting the data scientists at the center there, I think it's, it's, it's really important that you understand these two pieces, bringing you the data and then making, making your, um, your models just like shine for the company. Yeah, I mean, um, it's very interesting that you brought up a very, uh, I guess, a very uh, good, I think one of the in best practice in the industry world, especially when it comes to data science world, that, you know, data scientists also need to be plugged into that, I guess, that uh, SDLC or like software development or that kind of a life cycle mo uh, model. They also have to be uh, plugged into the, I guess, uh, DevOps or Scrum call where they will be kind of like uh, helping the ML engineer as a part of continuous integration or continuous development process, because any no model is like foolproof. I mean, you have to basically continuously evolve to you know make that model better, because we always face the challenge of I guess concept drift or any data drift situation, right? So a data scientist has to like you know improve their model you know, continuously, and while doing that, I think they really need help from an ML engine, you know, engineer to deploy the model in production environment on a, I guess, monthly basis or quarterly basis, I mean, based on their business practice. 
So, so it's, it's so uh, important, like, you know, for a data scientist and ML engineer to work together. I mean, another, I mean, we discuss about what is the difference between those two roles. I think it's better, I guess, to we can start thinking about how these two roles can, you know, work together in a more coherent manner within like industry world. I think that's, that's I guess, the main essence of uh, using, utilizing these two roles to their full extent for any business, you know, whether it's big tech a company or in healthcare or retail or even finance. I think data scientists and email engineer has a long way to go as a, you know, collaborative uh, force. Okay, so that's kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, kind of brings me to my next question, which is kind of related to the same machine learning uh, practice, but it's kind of related to a new term that uh, I've been, you know, people are using in the industry space that's called MLOps. So, I mean, the way I know about, you know, about this field is like, it's kind of like, um, I guess the combination of machine learning with uh, Deva practice, but I want to know more about this particular thing from you. I'm pretty sure my viewers will be very interested to know about this uh, MLOps world. So, so Aaron, uh, from your engineering background or based on in your DevOps knowledge and expertise. So what do you think that, you know, the data scientists, I mean, do they need to acquire knowledge about MLOps? or they will always you know, leave that particular responsibility on ML engineer. Okay, what, what do you think, and you know, what should be the best practice uh, in the future? Well, I, I think the short answer is yes. I think that you, you want to at least understand um, the idea behind ML ops, but let's back up in, in case people aren't aware of what DevOps is. Um, DevOps is this awkward word where like, it's, it's kind of a mashup of two words. Yeah. And the first one is dev, like development, and these are the people that usually write the code and then package it up into, you know, some kind of package like zip file, RPM file or whatever. And then what they used to do is throw it over the wall to the ops or the operations. And there's another set of engineers, right? And what they do is they take that packaged up code and they run it on a VM or operating system or whatever. And a lot of times due to like, I don't know, like the Tayloristic nature of, um, uh, of businesses where they want to, everybody wants to create this uh, um, kind of like supply chain, like similar okay. to what like car manufacturing does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really work. Like you want to be more aligned. So the DevOps idea was like, let's get the developers and the operations people like talking, like they, we've got two sets of engineers here. When they, when they talk together, they're going to do uh, better work, right? And this has given rise to um, what I like to refer to as uh, columns, which I believe came from Patrick Dubois in the term DevOps or whatever. But DevOps uh, is culture, automation, either lean, uh, the L could either be lean technology or learning, measuring and sharing, right? Like, so it's, it's partially a cultural type of movement, but it's also a technology movement in that like, you, um, you automate things. Yeah. yeah, you want to automate things, but you also want to measure them and have a feedback loop. So I kind of already kind of went into this, like for the ML ops, right? You want to automate getting um, that model that's been created by the data scientist out behind a REST API so that it can be used by the rest of the software engineers. But then you also want to measure, you want to have some kind of feedback loop that, that brings things back in. So the other thing that's happened from the DevOps movement is uh, many times, done right, companies will like reorganize how they deliver their software, mm -hmm. right? So 
instead of having this, this thing where you've got, you know, 50 engineers over here writing code and they get to the point and they package something up and throw it over here to 50 engineers over here and they run the code or whatever. Some, uh, some companies like streamline uh, this and say, if you write it, you run it. Um, uh, there's a number of different companies. Like you can just kind of Google that phrase. Like if you write it, you run it. Um, and you can see like how different companies have figured out like how they're going to do this. Now I'm going to probably say her name right wrong, but like on martinfowler.com or, or ThoughtWorks, mm -hmm. um, there Jamak uh, Dengani, uh, and I'm probably just saying it wrong, and I really apologize. But in 2019, she wrote a paper on data mesh. Now and then she there's a follow up paper uh, in 2020, and they are incredible. Uh, they talk about all kinds of things about like why a data mesh or data fabric is the way to go. Um, so we all know about like, you know, like data lakes are where we're going to put our unstructured data. And uh, a data warehouse is where you're going to put your like more structured data. Um, and that could be like inferences. So unstructured data is going to be things like images or documents or like big blobs of data. And then as a data scientist, you might like make inferences from those things and then you'll put those into a data warehouse, right? So very similar to the DevOps world, mm -hmm. um, this, this data mesh idea kind of has that ML ops built in mm -hmm. where you want to kind of restructure your company. And maybe instead of having, you know, a whole, I, a whole team of data engineers here, they're gonna get the, the, uh, the data over to the data scientists, which is another team here, which are going to then have to wait for the ML engineering team over here. You like, so say we've got a, yeah, yeah, say we got a group of three people here, three here, and then, then three in the, uh, the third group. Like, what if, we, what if we cut it the other way? What if the teams were like, what are we trying to do for the business? Like maybe we have the recommendation team or whatever. And that team is made up of a data engineer, a data scientist, and a, an ML engineer. Mm -hmm. And um, the three of them are the team and they actually flow through the system, that important data. When you start to, start to think about things as what functionally you're doing for the business, like that's, that's when you start moving faster. In the, in the DevOps world, we have um, like a very key piece of literature which comes out every year and it's a survey where it's the state of DevOps report and it's done by a group called Dora. And they go and they ask all these questions of all kinds of companies and they figured out a way to say of the respondents, which of the companies are doing really well in the market. And they put things in segments of like high performing and uh, medium performing and, and lower performing as far as like, you know, market cap and a number of different things. And the group that does the, the high performing, they, there's certain practices that they do. And one of the biggest practices is making sure that they do um, CI and CD, which is what we refer to as mm -hmm. continuous integration and continuous um, either delivery well, or deployment, Yeah. right? So yeah. continuous integration means that like every time you check in code, that code is tested and all the tests pass before it's packaged up. And then continuous delivery is every time you have a, uh, um, a new piece of code that's passed all the tests, then it is ready to go for everything other than switching over um, 
into production, right? Continuous delivery, you still have someone that presses the button and says, we're good, you know? Because a lot of people are scared. They're like, what if I, what if I pass all my tests, but I didn't have very good tests or whatever? But continuous deployment goes all the way. Like you, you, you test the code, boom, it just goes through your pipeline and you just, just deploy it. Now that's a bit much for most people. Most people do what, what we call continuous delivery. And I think that that's what we're kind of working towards in the ML ops space. I don't know that I've seen a company that's just like got this down, Pat. So you talked earlier, um, uh, I think about like there being like, I don't know, like a lot of jobs in, in ML ops uh, right now. And I think that's, that's what you get to do. Like that's, this is where you get to actually, as an ML ops person, you get to do a bit of science because you get to test out things and see what works. You can have the psychic like, experience, yeah. It's a little bit of art right now because it's not pure engineering. It's not like just saying, okay, I'm going to take this software package that delivers my, my model. Like now, by all means, you're going to use things that we've learned from years of, of being like, you know, DevOps and delivering our code from left to right. Um, so you're going to, you've got, you know, a wealth of things to, to read. But again, this is, this is a situation where like, it's almost like you're reading all the things we did in DevOps as though they're research papers and then applying them in a scientific way to say, I bet this would work for this model. Like, I bet I, I bet I could get this out to the right place. But then there's a little bit of nuance here because it's not just deploy. It's like deploy in such a way that you can get those feedback loops, um, which we've done in, in many ways uh, for years in DevOps. Like we've gotten feedback on uh, I know that people A-B test their code if they have a, like a strong enough uh, pipeline to get their code out. They're like, okay, here's, here's my A and here's my B and I'm going to give each of them to 50% of my customers. Oh, this one uh, A is outperforming. We're going to give everybody A, you know. Um, but you have to have a pretty sophisticated pipeline to be able to do this. I think that ML ops is like, we're just going to learn all kinds of things from, from DevOps. So, yeah. So as, so back all of that, back to your original question, um, as a data scientist, do you need to know uh, ML ops? I don't know that you need to be able to hands-on keyboard, do every single little bit that your ML ops person is doing, but I like that idea of being a tightly knit team where you know the virtues of what the data engineer is doing to get the data to you. And you know the virtues of what the ML ops engineer is doing to get the data to your customer or get the model actually to your customer. And like understanding that in an integrated fashion, like you have to be able to speak that language and understand those pieces. And it's so much better now, like instead of like what it's been for years for a data scientist to simply like, you know, beg for the data from somewhere else in the company, like you spend a lot of time doing that. Now you can spend time actually talking to an engineer about like, okay, what if we did the data a little bit different here? You, know, you had it in this, in this way so that I could actually make this model perform better. Oh, well, that's, that's a way better conversation than one where like, you're like, oh man, I've been munging this silly thing in a CSV on my, my, my machine forever. So if you get a good data engineer, you're freeing up time to have better conversations. So it's worth putting in the effort to understand what a good uh, data engineer should do or what a good data engineering practice is. And it's good to, to put in the time to understand what a good um, ML operations okay. practice would be. 
I feel like this, uh, these roles can like literally switch their place in between because as you said, like the ML engineer, it's not their job just to deploy a model. For them, they also need to understand the underlying maybe statistics or maybe they should have some expertise to evaluate the model. Maybe they should have some understanding of what confusion matrix is, how they can perform sensitivity or specificity test. So I feel like, you know, as a data scientist, uh, they can also like, you know, switch to an ML engineer role or, you know, they can, you know, an ML engineer could be a data scientist role, given how much knowledge they have uh, in terms of statistics or mathematical space or maybe uh, the programming knowledge. So it's, it, I feel like, you know, like this data scientist and the ML engineer, it's not like that some one person has to fill that two spots, rather, you know, they can work together to build a team. So as a, if somebody, you know, like in my view, or if they're a data science manager, I would definitely recommend them to hire both data scientists and ML engineer rather than having one person to both the jobs. And I think that's what Aaron, you were also trying to, um, you know, comment, you know, mention over here that it's good to have a coherent force between data scientists and ML engineer rather than having someone to do the model development and model deployment uh, work together. Yeah, I think. I think it's separating the role. Like sometimes it can be, it's, it's, it's not without uh, the realms of possibility that it would be the same person. And I think that like a good unit, if you cross train over time, and I found this to be true with DevOps also, is uh, coming from a developer background, I was working so closely with the operation groups that I was learning the job that they did. And uh, at the same time, I was also teaching them how to use, I think for the DevOps movement, um, Ruby was uh, like the tool of choice. It was, you know, like Python seems to be for the data scientists, um, but for the DevOps. So I was teaching quite a bit of Ruby to operations people. And like we, like the, I don't know, the, the clear separation blurs as you get a really good unit and you start to do things together. So like, so say the person's out on vacation or whatever, and you're like, oh, well, I know the, I know the things that they do. I think I could actually like, you know, in crisis mode, I could step in and do those type of things. Or you get cross-trained so well that it doesn't, it doesn't even take a crisis. Like you're, you're simply like, I trust you because I've taught you. Like, I think it becomes, uh, if done right, whether it's DevOps or MLOps, it becomes like a mentorship type of role where, but it's a, it's a bi-directional bi type of mentorship type of role. It's like, I, as a professional, know how to do this particular job really well, but that's not something I need to protect you from ever doing. I can teach you every bits of what I do. So it, you, you kind of become a mentor and apprentice uh, in both directions. And I think that for me personally, those have been the most satisfying relationships I've had in my professional career is one where I don't feel like I'm only teaching someone else. I'm teaching them, but they're also teaching me. So like it goes kind of both directions. Both where, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's very fascinating because that's the thing, you know, like it's kind of taking us by, back to the beginning of the discussion, that curiosity and perseverance, it goes in both ways. You know, like it's not about like a, a mentor could learn a lot from their mentees as well. So it's, it's really fascinating to know that, you know, like so much we still need to learn. And when you talk about data science and analogs, I mean, we can literally talk about that all day, but you know, like we have limited time, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's literally kind of like um, this analogs field would change the paradigm of 
the you know data science field of study. I mean, it definitely give us that kind of a flexibility where a data science could be like an applicable and it could take that field of artificial intelligence or machine learning to the next level because you know more we continuously evolve when we want to develop our model, the better we are in terms of you know achieving better accuracy. You know, for any kind of prediction, you know, whether it's a financial forecasting or house price or even Netflix movie recommendation or any prediction that Google is currently working on. I mean, they can uh, get uh, benefit from this envelopes pipeline you know, every day. Um, so, yeah, so so that's kind of like brings me to the end of this particular question answer section. So any final remarks uh, to my viewers, especially would like to pursue their career in this data scientist or email engineer direction? Any, any final uh, tips you'd like to share with them, Aaron? Um, I'd say be curious and like find something that like you're passionate about. Like the cool thing about um science and especially data science is like it can be applied to anything um like uh we talked about you know recommendation engines and netflix or whatever but there's also like a lot of insurance um really cool things with like trying to find fraud or whatever um there are like just anything you can think of that data science can be applied to so so be curious but also find something you're passionate about like there's there's more than enough problems to solve that like you should be able to pick one that you, you care about and, and do things. Um, and by all means, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I love to have these separate conversations uh, with, with any and everybody um, about like where their uh, interests lie and how I can help them out. Thanks, Aaron. And it's a pleasure talking to you on this very interesting topic. And for my viewers, I, get, I shared um, Aaron's LinkedIn link in the video caption. So please feel free to connect with him if you have any question related to data science or email engineer. If you'd like to know more about what kind of innovative work Google is doing and what Aaron has been up to in recent days, feel free to connect with him on LinkedIn. And then also please uh, share, you know, check that video caption. I share some other links related to what email ops is or data science. So you will get more information uh, from those links as well. So again, uh, it goes without saying, you know, like thanks Aaron for your time and consideration. And I think it's a great chat. I'm pretty sure my viewers would get uh, benefited from this discussion and they would get a lot of like uh, information about what is data science or email engineer or email ops code. So thanks, thanks, uh, thanks uh, Aaron for joining our session. And uh, for my viewers, I'll see you for the next coffee chat session. Keep subscribing to my channel as more contents on data science, uh, email ops, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are forthcoming. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for your time. Thank you.